Discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife and producer, Janet. And today in the studio, we have Tasha Stafford. We will be talking with her about um, bariatrics. She's an expert in bariatrics and weight loss. Um, we are at the AM 1470 KBSN studios in Moses Lake, streaming live on my Facebook and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube. Also, if you have any questions or you'd like to be part of the show, please call in. 509-765-1470. Tasha, welcome to the studio. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. All right. So why don't you just start with telling us a little bit of history about bariatrics. Because um, I'm familiar with bariatrics. Explain, that, explain about, um, a little bit about that. Well, bariatric surgery is uh, reduce the capacity size of your stomach so that you eat less. Uh, there's different forms of bariatric surgery that can also uh, reroute or shorten the intestines uh, to shorten the path to di uh, digestion. It's uh, very effective in uh, obesity. Okay, so there's there's a sleeve. There's also gastric bypass you're talking about? Mm -hmm. There's there's different forms of surgeries. There's uh, the gastric bypass. There's the lap band. There's the sleeve. Uh, there's the duodenal switch. Uh, the gastric balloon is now coming out. Okay. So why would somebody seek bariatric, bariatric surgery? Uh, many times, uh, most people have a very difficult time losing uh, the weight and keeping it off or uh, they are faced with uh, diseases and, uh, 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 you know, various diseases from the obesity that they have to, you know, lose weight rapidly to help, you know, with their overall health. Okay, so what's some, what are some of those diseases that they could have um, before having bariatric surgery? Uh, they can have high cholesterol. They can have uh, hypertension, uh, diabetes, uh, various diseases of the heart. Okay, so um, is there something to qualify before having bariatric surgery? Is there something they have to qualify before they have um, some kind of surgery like bariatric surgery? They do. Each doctor usually has uh, their own qualification processes that you have to uh, go through. In the States, they usually require, you know, require six months of um, counseling services psychological evaluations you have to prove that you know you went through six months of dieting on your own they do a complete health panel on you um, assess your risk and then your qualifications to lose weight you know they may require that you lose you know five ten percent of your body weight before you're able to have the surgery okay so tell us a little about uh, the history of, of your bariatric surgery so I was um, heavyset most of my life as a child, and um, at one point I tipped the scale at over 300 pounds, and um, I was in corporate America traveling all the time. I was heavyset, I had high blood pressure, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, I was traveling for uh, my job to Boise, and I was approached by an Alaska airline representative, um, and they wanted me to buy another seat. And they questioned whether I would be able to fit on the airplane. 
And I knew at that point that I, I needed to do something about my weight, but I, I just hadn't done anything. I hadn't been consistent with doing anything, let's put it that way. And when she followed me onto the plane and, and, and made sure I could fit in the seat, that was, that was enough for me. So I had uh, decided since my insurance did not cover bariatric surgery, um, I was at the point that uh, enough was enough and I needed to lose the weight. I needed to focus on my health. And so I opted to go to Mexico uh, three weeks later and have my uh, bariatric surgery. Wow, that was fast. Mm -hmm. um, so did you have any disease states? You discussed that there's some disease states that can come, come about with being overweight. Um, did you have any disease states that before you had surgery? I did. I um, had hypertension, so I was on medication for that. And I also have rheumatoid arthritis. And as you know, that also feeds on adipose tissue. And so I was flaring uh, pretty much like every two months, living off and on prednisone uh, uh, quite a bit that um, also increased my weight as well. So after you had bariatric surgery, so three weeks later, that was your wake-up call. Mm -hmm. You had bariatric surgery. And um, so if you don't mind sharing some of these personal details, so how old were you when you had, when you had the surgery? So it was in 2013, so I'm going to be seven years out. I was uh, 36 years old at the time that I had decided to have it. Uh, I lost most of my weight all within the first year. Um, I went uh, about 140 pound weight loss and I ended up rebounding and settling in about 120 pound weight loss. Okay. So help us out with, you had, you're on blood, you're on medication for blood pressure, high blood pressure, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. And your blood pressure, did you get off the blood pressure medication after you lost the weight? I did. Because your blood pressure went away. Yep. Uh, your high blood pressure went away. So mm -hmm. what about the RA? Did the RA get better? The, the RA did get better. So I, in seven years, I've only really had to go on prednisone, I would say, maybe eight times. And before that, I, you know, to be honest with you guys, I was probably on prednisone at least every other month. Yeah. And, of course, prednisone long-term is not does not have great side effects for sure. Um, so... I, what I like about the about your story, and I think, and you'll have to help me. That's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, is because there's a, you know, the, you're not alone in this journey, and there's a lot of patients that have multiple disease states that could be helped if they just lost weight. So, you know, your RA got better, your hypertension got better. Um, so let me just tell us about that process of losing the weight over. 120 pounds over a few years, over a year period. Tell mm -hmm. us about that process and like it's mostly the first month and, and how's that go? Mm -hmm. So I had to lose, uh, I think about 18 pounds before my doctor would um, perform the surgery on me in Mexico. Um, before that, you know, I, I had tried various diets. I had tried low carb, I had tried, I had tried um, Weight Watchers multiple times. And I, and I got to the point that I would question myself and, and ask myself, you know, why can't you just stick with a diet? Like, why can't you do this? You know, you, you can do everything else in life. Why can't, you, why can't you diet? Why can't you lose it? And after I had bariatric surgery and, you know, the, I had to let my stomach heal, of course, for the first, you know, 45 days, you know, I really took a vow to change my life and to change the way that I was eating. And so the weight, the first six months, just, it just fell off. You know, you're in a drastic caloric reduction. 
uh, because of the, the capacity that your stomach can hold, and the weight just fell off. And I knew uh, that I needed to get into the gym. But what I focused on for the first six months is really the nutrition part and focusing on um, well-balanced meals, my protein first, you know, making sure I was drinking my protein shakes. Then about the six-month mark was when I started uh, getting into the gym, lifting weights, and, and really just focusing on overall health. Um, and then, you know, seven years later, here I am still continuing to do the same thing and, you know, now coaching, you know, hundreds of bariatric patients you do, to be successful in their journey. So tell me a little about, you You mentioned that you had to lose weight before you had surgery. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a qualification. Um, so not everybody qualifies. So obviously you have to have, need to lose so much weight. But what if you need to lose too much weight? Um, you know, so you're saying sometimes some patients could be too heavy to be to do the surgery. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. So some patients, um, you know, the heavier you are, obviously the riskier the surgery is. And, um, and, you know, in, in extreme situations, you know, death has occurred. And so the doctors, you know, each doctor is a little bit different, but they do want you to lose a certain amount of weight. And depending on what you weigh, you know, you might have to lose a substantial amount of weight to have it done. Um, it depends. You know, I was, I was a little bit over 300 pounds starting. My surgery weight was like 268, I believe. I had lost some weight before that. Um, but, you know, patients that are, you know, if you watch like My 600 Pound Life, you know, they have to, some of them have to lose a little bit of weight too. Before the surgery. You know, the heavier you are, the riskier the surgery is. Right. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, as an American, and I, I, this is not novel for me. This is not a novel statement for me. I, I was taught this by a doctor. And as an American, the most dangerous thing we could do every day as an American is to be overweight. And why do I say that? Because cardiovascular disease kills more people in this country than car wrecks, than cancer, than um, many things combined. So the most dangerous thing we can do is be overweight because um, being overweight does attribute to diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol possibly, um, which has been linked to cardiovascular disease, which kills a lot of Americans. So and is going up all the time. So you know, any way to lose weight, I think, is 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 a good is a good plan for, for patients. And sometimes we need to go to extreme measures like bariatric surgery. So tell me a little bit about, you mentioned about being a coach. What made you do that? Did you do that right away? What made you be a coach um, for bariatrics post-surgery? Um, no, you know, I, I was in corporate America. So I was actually a vice president of a bank. Um, and I was in client development when I had my surgery. And um, somewhere along the line, my passion developed to help people. I realized that there was a need to really help people, uh, help to reinforce what the doctor tells us to do after. But the problem after bariatrics is we all have surgery at different locations. I had mine out of the country. So I did not have the support system that some people in the U.S. might have if they've had it at their local hospital who has a big support um, group or system set up at that hospital. I unfortunately did not have that. So I recognized the need within about the first year, um, the need out there to really um, educate people around, you know, macronutrients, their protein, their fats, their carbs, balancing, eating to a structure, following their doctor's orders, making sure that they're doing their annual lab work. And that's when I had decided to um, 
quit my job <laughs> and start coaching. Awesome, awesome. It's so, a huge transition. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. You know, um, tell us a little bit about. You mentioned you you had yours done in Mexico. So tell us a little bit about why you chose Mexico. So my insurance did not cover bariatric surgery, and at that time it was about twenty thousand dollars, and I did not have twenty thousand dollars in the bank in the bank unless I put it on credit or took out a loan. So I had opted uh, to go to um, the obesity control center and have mine done in Tijuana with Dr. Ortiz, and it and and all in all, you know, it 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 was less than half of the cost in Mexico. And I was very comfortable with my choice. He was one of the top surgeons. Uh, he educates all around the world. So I was very comfortable uh, going down there to have the surgery done. My family, on the other part, was not. So my mom, who's an emergency room nurse, had to escort me <laughs> and check out everything before I had it done. But, you know, in the end, I would go down and have it done there in a heartbeat again. I loved the experience. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So that looks like we can wrap this segment up. First segment up, we'll go to a commercial. You are listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We'll be back in a jiffy. Welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. You are with us live in the at the AM fourteen seventy KBSN studios. We'd love to have you as part of the show. Please call in 509-765-1470. We have Tasha Stafford as a guest today. She is an expert in bariatrics and weight loss. And we, if you missed us the first segment, we were talking about some, some of her history and just the history of um, bariatric weight loss. And we're going to continue that. So, Tasha, we left off with um, surgery in Mexico versus local. And you're going to give share some statistics about um Share some statistics that, that you know about bariatric surgery. Well, currently, uh, studies show that surgery reduces a person's risk of premature death by about 30 to 40 uh, percent. Bariatric surgery also helps to res, uh, resolve and improve more than 40, 40 obesity-related diseases and conditions. All right. Let's just stop talking about that. So you guys that have been listeners and viewers for a while with us, you know how important chronic disease is to us. And, and one of the things that changed mine and Janet's practice in our pharmacy was how chronic disease is treated in our nation. So think about that. 40 different diseases um, from sleep apnea to diabetes to hypertension to high cholesterol. And it doesn't even stop there. Um, in a few months, next month, we're going to have Dr. Sean Baker um, from the He's the one that wrote the carnivore diet, and he's an orthopedic surgeon. And one of the things that he talked about that changed his practice was when he changed people's diets and had them lose weight, they didn't need surgery anymore. How many people get knee replacements, hip replacements, and they wouldn't need that or have they, they have foot problems? So think about this. I already mentioned how dangerous it is as an American to be overweight. Think about those disease states that you can eliminate if, if you lose weight. So go ahead, Tasha. Keep going. Well, with bariatrics, you know, most people typically lose the, the most amount of their weight within the first two years. Um, most of them lose as much as 60% within the first six months. So you're, talk, you're talking about drastically improving your quality of life within the first six months of surgery. Uh, many, um, on average, uh, have reached goal within the first year to two. And after five years, the studies indicate that they have kept off 50% or more of their excess weight. Wow. 
that's important. So talk about you, you talk about follow up and you, you didn't have maybe the best follow up because you picked a out of country um, surgeon. Um, so I'm assuming that's kind of the, what you're getting at is that that's why you started this coaching, this coaching thing for bariatrics, correct? Mm -hmm. So how does that work? So the whole reason that I founded BerryFit was I recognized the need out there for a solid support system. Um, there's many people that we're, we're having surgeries all over the U.S. Um, now, you know, uh, Mexico is one of the top countries to go to for bariatrics, and there's other, other people have it in other countries. So the support network for bariatrics is not consistent. And so I recognized the need to really enforce uh, the rules that we're supposed to follow. And so I went on, I have my master's in business, but I went on to get accredited and become a master coach through Precision Nutrition and founded BerryFit to really reinforce the structure that bariatrics should be eating because regain is so prevalent in our community. And then there's various foundations like Weight Loss Surgery Foundation of America, who has a huge support network uh, that does an annual conference every year that, um, <clears throat> that you can you can join and go to to develop a support network and to develop um, really that system that I think people need in place to support their long-term journey, not just the first year or two. I'm talking about the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah it's, we have to eat for the rest of our life, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you said some rules. You said, so to help patients follow some rules that they're supposed to follow, what are some of these rules you're supposed to follow after bariatric surgery? So after bariatric surgery, we have, uh, we have to focus on our protein first. That's first and foremost. Uh, every meal, every snack, it should really be protein focused. Um, the, the other is, you know, watching the carb intake. You should only be um, really eating, you know, healthy, nutritious, smart carbs, um, not highly processed um, carbohydrates. And then really watching your fats, you know, um, although there's lots of healthy fats, um, there's a lot of dangerous fats out there as well, is really just leading kind of that balanced life, not drinking 30 minutes before, 30 minutes after a meal, uh, watching your alcohol intake, keeping it to a minimal, um, getting active. You know, the most successful people do cardio on average at least four days a week for about 30 minutes. Okay. So you said not drinking and or drinking 30 minutes before or 30 minutes after a meal mm -hmm. explain that so the, that's new to me the 30 30 rule so with after bariatrics your your capacity of your pouch is limited right your stomach so for example 80 percent of my stomach was removed so when i'm focusing on drinking fluids i have to focus on drinking fluids um and then i have to stop you know, about I usually stop about 30 minutes to an hour before I eat so that I can focus on my food. Because if I'm eating and drinking at the same time, then I can't properly um, stick to a diet because the fluid is taking up the space in my stomach versus the nutrition that I should be eating. Right. So, And then if you're rerouted, if you've had bypass, then you're, you, you don't absorb everything. So that's why it's so important to, you know, really adhere to that 30-30 rule that you're either focusing on your fluid intake or you're focusing on your nutrition intake. Because basically it's a volume because your stomach just can't handle that much volume. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for clearing that up and educating me. Um, so tell us a little bit more about some of the things as far as macros and maybe nutrients that might be, that bariatric might be deficient in. Um, what about some, some fat-soluble vitamins, things like that? Do you, do you have any... Um, um, do you have some information for us, for mm -hmm. us on that? Okay. So uh, when, I, when I first had bariatric surgery, I, 
to be honest with you, I did not have an idea of what a macronutrient was. <laughs> I knew what calories were. Um, it was through, you know, educating myself, also hiring my own personal coach that I started macro dieting in the beginning about the, I, I hired him about a year after surgery and I learned what macronutrients are. So macronutrients, you guys, are what equals calories. So protein is four calories per gram, carbohydrates are four calories per gram, and uh, fats are nine calories per gram. And that's what equals calories. Uh, in addition, we are required to be taking our vitamins. So a multivitamin, calcium, uh, vitamin D, some people have to take extra iron, you know, magnesium, et cetera. Uh, but we are uh, asked and, and ultimately required by our doctors and for our follow-up to uh, do annual lab work to see if we are falling deficient in anything. Yeah. And just for our listeners and viewers, so macronutrients like protein, carbohydrate, and fats, the vitamin D, um, B vitamins, calcium, those are called micronutrients. So um, macro and micro, just like it says. So. Um, is there a specific ratio of macronutrients as far as protein to to carbs that, that you guys shoot for, or you just shoot for very low carb? You know, I, I personally believe in more of a balanced diet, um, you know, about a 40-30-30 ratio, 40% coming from uh, protein. Uh, there's bariatrics out there that follow more of a, a higher fat ketogenic lifestyle. Uh, there's some out there who just uh, follow a high protein, low carb. Uh, low-fat diet out there. Um, you know, there's there's various diets that different bariatrics um, follow. I think the, the most successful stay, obviously, within our caloric range. We're watching our caloric intake, uh, getting active, and, um, you know, our annual blood work checking, checking on everything. Personally, I like a more balanced approach. I don't believe in, you know, really eliminating food groups. Yeah. So what you talked a little bit earlier about um, smart carbs. Tell us what a smart carb is. So your smart carbohydrates are your um, slow digesting, um, unprocessed carbohydrates. So like oats, yams, um, quinoa, things like that would be your what we should be eating. Okay. Not like highly processed like white rice, uh, white potato, uh, breads. Breads tend to swell in the stomach, so we, sh we should really avoid those. And so what about like fruits? Because fruits are not slow digesting necessarily, especially like a banana. Mm -hmm. So is that, would that be a smart carb in, 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 in this, in this conversation? You could constitute as a smart carb. Um, bananas, obviously high, high carbohydrate, yep. right? Uh, berries, you know, apples probably being among your better fruits. Bananas uh, are okay, just higher carb. We should watch those because obviously bananas can be, um, you know, what you think might be a 20-carb banana might be a 40-carb banana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and bananas do have a high glycemic index, so they can spike your glucose for sure if you're not burning it. And so you talked about calories, a caloric intake overall. How many calories, what, how many calories should you shoot for a day? Uh, most, so, so these will sound shocking to a lot that may not, um, be active in like a bariatric community, but most doctors, um, kind of the common number out there is 800 to 1,000 calories a day. And I've seen, I've seen other plans, they go up to like 1,200 calories a day after you've reached maintenance. Um, you know, the, the discrepancy comes when, you know, as a bariatric, you've really transformed your life and got very active in the gym. 
those people to power lift, to run marathons, to bodybuild might require, you know, some more calories despite our capacity restrictions. Right. So let's talk about that. So let's say, do you know of, do you coach any or do you know of any um, bariatric um, patients that have went to the surgery and they are some type of marathon runner? A lot. Okay. So with a small stomach like that, if they're burning, you know, they could burn upwards you know, especially a male could burn a thousand calories an hour, mm-hmm. you know, if they're in, t- in doing intense exercise. So let's say they're burning 700 calories an hour. Can they meet the requirements by eating enough during exercise to do that with a, with a decreased stomach capacity? It's, it's very difficult for them to do so. You know, okay. when, you're, when you're dealing with somebody who is, is missing 80% of their stomach, and then they, they start marathoning or cycling, it's very, very difficult for them to eat the amount of calories that uh, an unaltered person, marathoner or cyclist, would, would consume. Yeah. And so they have to be really smart, and that may mean that they have to supplement. Yeah. And, and, pro- or, and or, you know, do shorter type, you know, because our body has an hour and a half reserves in glycogen alone, usually, so they can you know, just do shorter events, you know, and obviously you can burn fat too. So it's not just what you eat. It, it might, that might help with our performance. It's not just what you eat. Um, so as far as, as a program, as far as you put people on a personal, is, is, is all, is everybody the same when you put them on a program or do they follow different diets depending on that person? Um, no, you know, I'm, my programs, I, I follow a structure for one. So I do follow a structure, but everybody's, you know, different. So, you know, all their programs are a little bit different. Um, you know, if I have somebody who's marathoning, my program for them would be a little bit different. We would have to be smart about what we, what we do in the program so that they can take in the calories to perform uh, in their runs. Uh, somebody who's more sedentary, my program for them would be a little bit more different. Yeah. Um, everybody, I, you know, it's, it's so you know, it's on a weekly basis and it's customized to them, but yet I still maintain, you know, a similar structure when I am like programming meals. It's just when it comes to supplementation, it may be a little bit different yeah. depending on, you know, their exercise level and how active they are. So I, I think that's what's important. And if you, if anybody tuned into our show last week, my brother was on the show and he talked about, instead of calling it diet, he talked about way of eating and, um, and one thing, whether we talk about keto or carnivore diet or vegetarian diet, vegan diet, um, you know, paleo diet, you got to find out what works for an individual. And everything, everybody is different. Um, so you got to find out what works works for them, depending on activity level and you know, depending on timing of nutrients and stuff. So everybody's different. I think that's what's important is that you have a personal diet for. You know, everybody has to have a personal diet and find out what works for them. That's why it's important to educate people on on the differences of them. So, so when you talk about um, you you mentioned the importance of, of of the personal diets that you give to people. So, how would the process start when somebody started with you? What would that? How would that work? Well, when I start uh, my process with clients, is I'm looking for sustainability. You know, I'm I'm. I'm looking at when they when they fill out their client profile and I'm reading over their history 
and, and and I'm looking at everything and I'm talking to this person, I'm looking at what's going to be sustainable in their life. What What's going to come natural to them? And so that's my starting foundation for them. You know, if I have a vegan, you know, obviously I can't put the put meat in there, you know, so I have to look at what comes natural to this person. How do they want to eat? If I have them eating broccoli six times a day and they hate broccoli, they're going to hate the process. I want them to love, you know, it's, you know, I hate to say diet. I want them to love the process because if they love the process, they're going to stick with the process. It's going to be a lifestyle change for them that they can, they can see themselves doing not just today or in a year, but 10 years down the road. You know, the way that I eat, I eat the same, whether I'm on vacation, I'm on a cruise ship, I'm at home, you know, I try to maintain the same structure. So when I'm, when I'm talking to clients, I have to dig deep and find out really what's going to be sustainable for them and keep them on track. And for them to say, you know what, Tasha, I can maintain this. 10 years down the road, I can see myself eating like this. That means I've made, I've, I, I've coached the way that I should coach because I've made it a lifestyle change for them. So when do you usually get started on this process? Immediately after surgery or do you wait a few months or? I have clients that are two weeks out and I have clients that are 23 years out. Oh, wow. So I have, I have a wide range of clients. I have marathoners, I have cyclists, I have bodybuilders, I have, you know, people that are just like to get on the treadmill a couple days a week. I have clients that don't want to exercise. I have a vast majority of, uh, of clients that I work with. That's wonderful. So we mentioned about the average client can only eat eight to 800 to 1,000 calories per day. Um, what I like to clear up is that, you know, honestly, the average American in a sedentary type job, I mean, from my experience of working with, with patients for weight loss, the average patient really only burns 1,200 calories a day. If you have a sedentary job, and you don't do any, any extra exercise. So really, that's not that much different. Um, and that's why I think it's important to teach people how to eat normally and keep it into their regular lifestyle because we have to live to eat or yeah, we, we have to, and, but we don't have to exercise. We don't have to exercise to live. So, um, that's what I like to tell people is that if you're going to pick one or the other, it's important to learn how to eat because that's what keeps us alive. Whereas we don't have to stay alive to, we don't have to exercise to stay alive. So, and I, and I remind them, let's, let's eat. To, our bodies were made eat to live. Don't live to eat, you know, um, because that's when we kind of overeat, when we just celebrate everything with food and our bodies are meant to just have enough to sustain ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, go ahead. I, yesterday I, I happened to do a live Facebook video and I was talking about that exact same thing. You know, when I eat on a very structured basis, when I make my focus, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I have focused on, I focused on my protein. Um, you know, I've made a protein shake a priority, obviously, because typically we, we can't eat enough dense protein. So some, most of the time people do need a supplement and a shake. Um, and maybe put in a snack in there. I stay right naturally, naturally about 12 to 1300 calories when I've put my structure a priority, when I put the big three, breakfast, lunch, and dinner a priority and a snack. Now, if I'm just mindlessly grazing and going into my pantry and eating, I can rack up the calories. I mean, I could easily get, you know, probably 2000 calories in 
easily if I was just to go, you know, dip into the kids' snack boxes and, you know, eat some of their lunch things that I buy them. So when I'm really focused on, you know, structure and my focus, I'd naturally stay, you know, 12, 1300 calories. Well, and that's why it's important to have a plan because if you don't and you will definitely deviate from that plan it's, and it's really easy to overeat. We'll uh, wrap this segment up and we'll talk about it more in the next segment. You're listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham at AM 1470 KBSN Studios. Be part of the show. Call in 509-765-1470. Hello and welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We're in the studio with Tasha Stafford, uh, expert on bariatric and weight loss. Um, so we will continue. If you if you weren't worth this first couple segments, we will continue. Tasha wants to talk a little bit about regain and something called transfer addiction with uh, um, bariatrics. So Tasha, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, so one of the things that I want to stress is you know having a really good uh, support system, not just with your bariatric peers, but also. Uh, counselors, psychologists, et cetera, to have a really good support system because regain is very prevalent in the bariatric community. I, I There's not one person that I haven't met that either tells me that I don't look like a bariatric, okay, <laughs> or um, that somebody that they know had bariatric surgery and has regained all their weight back. I hear kind of both sides of it. Uh, regain is very prevalent in the bariatric community because people ultimately quit following the rules. Uh, they quit focusing on the big three, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They quit putting pre- protein as a focus. Uh, they start eating around um, their stomach capacity. So they're eating what we call slider foods. Those are the, the high calorie foods um, that you can you can get in in small quantities. So it's, it's very prevalent. Um, you know, transfer addiction is very prevalent in the the bariatric community as well. You know, the top two being um, shopping and alcohol. So, so um, define for me, as you did during the break, what transfer addiction is. Well, transfer addiction ultimately is, you know, before, you know, our our go-to, our way to cope would be food. And when you don't have that anymore, then what do you do? If, if exercise hasn't been part of your routine, then what do you do? So then... <clears throat> excuse me, most people will ultimately transfer a debt and they'll start um, doing things to cope. And a lot of that is, you know, spending money shopping. It could be alcohol. Um, There's, you know, I'm sure there's drug, there's drug use, you know, so you, that's what a transfer addiction is. If you transferred from the food over to something else. Right. And that's not uncommon in, you know, me being a pharmacist, it's uncommon in the pharmaceutical industry either when, you know, somebody goes off opioid addiction and they get addicted to something else. That's not uncommon. So I'd never heard that called transfer addiction and I like that term. So thank you for educating me. Um, So let me go a little bit into um, we're going to talk a little bit about hormones and weight loss, and I'm going to go a little bit into my story. So, first of all, one thing I want to say is that you know I appreciate you for coming out, Tasha. And if you guys haven't looked at her before and after pictures, please go to my Facebook and look at her before and after pictures. It's an it's an amazing transition, and it's wonderful that um, you know she has done so well helping so many patients. So I appreciate that, Tasha, and I'm sure listeners and viewers do. So in 2009, um, I was struggling with my weight and, um, you know, I struggled with my weight on and off through after college, basically. And um, I had different kinds of, I'd lose weight and I'd gain it back. And in 2009, I decided that uh, we were doing what's called the HCG diet in our pharmacy. And basically what it is, is it's... uh, you take a a medication. It's nothing new. It's been around Dr. Simonson um, 
had it back in the 40s or 50s with his patients and it's a hormone that you use to help maintain lean body mass so while you take it you're on a low calorie diet and you maintain lean body mass without losing so you don't you don't lose body mass and it helps you burn fat so it's it's a high protein type diet low very low calorie and you only do it for a month and then you know your body kind of needs to reset if you want to do another round Anyway, in 2009, I decided I had hypertension, I had, um, which is also known as high blood pressure, I had high cholesterol, and of course they wanted to put me on medications, and I just didn't want to go on chronic medications for, for those diseases. So I ended up doing the diet in 2010, and I lost 26 pounds the first month, ended up losing a total of about 60 pounds over four months. And I have maintained my weight loss. Um, the thing I like about that diet is kind of what you're talking about is you eat mostly real eat real foods. So you can go on a cruise. You can go out to dinner. You can eat at home. You can go to any grocery store. You're not buying somebody's special boxed foods where you have to eat their special foods, which I'm not a fan of because then when you stop eating their foods, you're you know, you don't know how to eat normally. So that's what I liked about this diet. And um, so anyway, I did end up when I actually felt better, you know, I had knee pain, I had foot pain, all that stuff went away. And when I started feeling better, I, I, I could actually throw some exercise in the mix. And, and I'm so glad I did because, um, you know, it, it changed lives around me. And I think that's, you know, one thing that you might recognize when you might or may not recognize about how your family models what you do. And I had a son that was overweight and, you know, he was just following my habits. So, and he ended up losing, you know, a few years later, he ended up losing 40 pounds. And now he's just incredible, works out six days a week, weighs all of his food. He eats so healthy. I, you know, I'm a little bit envious, not really, but kind of. Um, so anyway, that was my weight loss. Go ahead, Tasha. You want to, you want to say something? No, I, th I think it's fantastic. The scary part after bariatrics is entering a gym. So I encourage everybody, if you are in a gym and you see a heavy set person, they may be starting their bariatric journey, um, is to really support them because that is a big fear among bariatrics is going to a gym and really being made in fun of. So I would encourage everybody, if, if you see that heavy set person, they may just be starting their journey um, to become a supporter of theirs because it does mean a lot and it keeps us motivated. Yeah. Encourage them. That's the best place they should be is in a gym. Mm -hmm. It's better than being at home on the couch. So absolutely. Thank you for that tip. So um, talking about the HCG and my, and my, um, my history. Uh, so another thing is that common question we, we get with, with bariatric surgery is, you know, after the fact, um, you know, with hormones and how does hormone affect weight loss? Do you want to go ahead and, and talk about that a little bit, Tasha? Um, I'm just starting my, my hormone journey. Mm -hmm. So I've actually tested perfect up until this past year. Um, my thyroid now is kind of falling, it's still in normal range. Um, so my primary would always tell me that I'm falling within normal range. I actually ended up finding somebody, um, in North Idaho who specializes in hormones and she wanted to see me in optimal range. And so she put me on thyroid medication. So I'm just starting this journey. And then my testosterone was testing low. So I'm just starting to where 
I'm kind of starting to enter into going into uh, the premenopausal stages. Yep. I'm just at the very, very, very start of it. So, Sean, maybe you can talk more about this one. Yeah. So, you know, hormone replacement at our pharmacy, at Mosaic Professional Pharmacy, we've been doing that for 20 plus years and we're kind of recognized as experts across the Pacific Northwest in it. You know, Janet knows a lot about it and I know a lot about it because we've dealt with so many doctors and patients. And, you know, hormone is a very generic term. Um, because it's a broad term. So, so we use it when we talk about hormones. We, we, sh we don't define it, but we should. But thyroid is a hormone, of course. And thyroid is not something that necessarily is affected as much by, by um, menopause. And it can usually affect um, people when they're younger. And I like that you found a doctor that specializes in hormone replacement because we see it all the time. And we have you know doctors that we refer patients to that are specially trained in it because... There's a difference between being normal and being optimal. And it is just a fact as we age, whether it be thyroid hormone or whether it be testosterone, progesterone, our estrogens, estradiol, what have you, they decline as we age. So um, thyroid usually is one of the first ones. And, and without an optimal thyroid, you will have low energy, weight gain. You can have signs of feeling cold, um, you know, cold hands, cold fingers, um, you know, loss of hair, those are all signs of low thyroid symptoms. So typically also what's important though is that you get your testosterone checked because low testosterone symptoms mimic low thyroid symptoms. So testosterone um, helps for energy, helps for mood, helps for depression, helps to maintain lean body mass, helps for metabolism. So testosterone is very important also. Now, from our experience, what normally happens with women is, you know, they get in their, every woman's different, but in their late 30s, early 40s, and you start seeing declines of usually progesterone and testosterone. So typically when we think of women, we think of only estrogen, but testosterone is very, very important in women. It's, we, testosterone is not just for men. Women make up estrogen need testosterone and make it up also. Um, they just don't make up as much as men. So it's important to replace those so they can maintain lean body mass, um, you know, have um, optimal optimal bone health. Testosterone is good for bone density. All those things are important long-term. So, And it's important that you see a provider like you found um, that doesn't want you to be normal, but wants you to be optimal. Because what's normal, when you think about some of those normal symptoms or those in the normal lab numbers, those normal lab numbers, a lot of times those normals are from, you know, thousands or millions of patients that are were already sick. So those normal numbers, it was normal for them to be sick. So it's not, but it's not an optimal level. So that that's what the importance is, the importance of um, hormone balancing long-term. Now, so maintaining your metabolism, maintaining lean body mass, all those things are important if you want to maintain um, a healthy body weight and be able to keep the weight off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I had to be my own advocate. I really did. And, you know, I was fortunate that you guys were friends on my Facebook page when I was talking about my hormones and gave me some additional advice to kind of start asking some questions. And that's how I ultimately, with my primary, I knew something was going on because I, would, I wasn't feeling my normal self. I was more tired. I just, I just wasn't feeling myself anymore. And um, so I had done my original blood work with my primary, but I was told I was in normal range. But... But then I asked about my history and what had ha what was happening is I was 
I was still falling in normal range, but I was declining every single year. Exactly. And so I said, you know, okay, I, I want to go to somebody who more specializes in women's health. Um, and that's when I found um, Jan um, at Prairie Family um, Prairie, Prairie Family Medicine in North Idaho, and she specializes in it, and she's wonderful. And she said, you know what, Tasha, I want to see you in optimal range. I want you feeling back to, you know, who Tasha was before you kind of started feeling just like things weren't quite um, going smoothly for you. Yeah. And so now I'm just in my, my stages of it. My thyroid is now testing an optimal. Um, my testosterone was still, is still falling low, and so um, we're trying to get that, you know, that dosage up and then up to optimal levels as well. Yep. Jan Nelson is an ARMP and Coeur and we've worked with her for many years now. She's a, she's a great, great provider. Um, yeah. So, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times you had a baseline. So you had a history of what your thyroid levels were, um, maybe not what your testosterone levels were, your other hormone levels, but um, that's why I like to educate patients and let them know that they need to get a baseline early on. So later on, when somebody says that, you know, your hormones are normal, you know, well, they weren't the same as they were two years ago, I, you know, or five years ago when I was feeling great. So that's why it's important to have um, optimal optimal levels and have baseline. So get your hormones checked, people. Get them checked early, even if you think it's not even if you think it's early, your doctor said it's early. And I like what you said about you are your own advocate. That's why we have a radio show. That's why I've written a book because um, we need to educate and empower patients because that's what they don't know necessarily, that they're their own best advocates. So in the next couple of minutes, Tasha, we got to wrap this up. Um, what would you like us to know? How do we get a hold of you? What the, Some parting words and how do we get a hold of you? Uh, how do people get a hold of you? I am uh, the founder of BarryFit.com, so you can go to um, BarryFit, B-A-R-I-F-I-T.com, and you can contact me through my website. I'm also um, on Facebook at uh, Tasha Stafford or um, through my business page, which is also BarryFit Fitness and Nutrition. Okay. So are there any parting words you'd like to say? Are you you glad that you went through this this surgery? I am. I would do it all over again. Okay. All right. Well, that about wraps up our show. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, You are listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham at the AM 1470 KBSN Studios in Moses Lake. We will see you next Monday.